Forgotten Flicks, episode 78, The Fly, 1986. We'll be the ultimate family. A family of three joined together in one body. More human than I am alone. No! 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 No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Hello and welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast. I am Joel, joined as always by the transmutated freak show himself, Jason Fly. <laughs> Haven't you ever wanted to walk up walls and not be a douchey guy wearing a red and blue suit? I mean, come on, who doesn't want to be a run to fly? Did, right? you, did, did you just call Spider Man douchey? The two iterations, well, I. I uh, to be fair, I haven't seen the second iteration, but the first one that... Oh, you're you know, totally negating the, the 67 cartoon? Is that, Are we totally negating that then? Or what about the, the 70s TV show, the live action show, where it looked like a guy was in some kid's pajamas? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think both of those fall into the douchey category. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Okay, Jason. Tonight, yes, sir. Tonight we're talking The Fly. Today. We whatever, are. Whenever you listen to this. It doesn't matter. This morning. Bright yes. and early this morning. At, at 3 a.m. when this thing launches... Eastern Standard Time, which is what we it always just launches at. We were talking about it. Yeah, we were and just talking about yes, it. Yes, yes, we were talking about The Fly. <laughs> I am I am excited. This this was this was always I'm going to let it out right now. I'm not going to say how I, I feel about this time. Mm-hmm. But this was always one of my favorite. This is this movie to me was my kind of horror movie. This was a likey? This was a likey. A okay. big likey. A big likey. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like when I was, you know, watch I was on to something big, something huge. Now, do you, do you remember that line in the movie? No. Okay, and then he replies, "Oh, what do you mean his schlong?" Yeah, he didn't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> <Cock-a-doodle-doo>! <laughs> yes. So, uh, um, did you see this now in the theaters when it came out? In negative, go- negative ghostwriter. I was like ten. Right. Well, I don't know. You know. I understand you were like you know times three that. <laughs> <laughs> no, <clears throat> I saw this as well early on, but um, did not see it in the theaters because uh, I, too, was a little young to see this in the theaters when it came out. But uh, I actually don't think I actually saw this until I was in high school. I had a friend, Chris, really? who was uh, who who had some pretty good taste in movies and turned me on to some good stuff. And this was one of them. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Now, have you seen the original uh, film? The 19 was it 19? 19- 26 no 58 talking about the 58 yeah 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 i meant 56 it was was a talkie jay again (laughs) i realized that that was a big transition (laughs) like the kids today have the whole 3d thing it's like god i don't know 2d 3d you were like talkies you know i don't know Uh, i don't remember i'm sorry 58 (laughs) is what i do where the final scene of that movie yes everyone's seen that the vincent price 
very well-known scene. Yeah. Uh, but, spo- uh, spoiler alert. Should we do the spoiler alert now for, um, I think we might as well do it before we get to the trailer because you know, yeah, the trailer does give quite a bit away. So on that yeah. note, here's JV. Hello, I'm JV. You may know me from my work on such films as American Gangster, I Am Legend, and the video game Journey Down Chapter 1 by Sky Goblin Games. You know, my least favorite part of this film, actually the most disgusting part to me, me, was the part when you actually got to see the mutated... What? Wrong movie! Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about The Fly. Oh, wait, I was talking about The Fly, too. Well, anyway... The following segment of Forgotten Flicks will contain information so pertinent to the film that, if you have not yet seen it, may ruin your viewing experience. So if you plan to see The Fly, please consider resuming the episode only after you've viewed the film, which you can find at Netflix on DVD. We now return you to Forgotten Flicks. Already in progress! Thank you, JB. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you a thousand legs. I mean, a thousand times over. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. In, in a thousand times as the fly can see. Thank you. Yes. Ready for the trailer, Jay? Yes. Hit, right. hit the trailer. Let's do it. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry. I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh no! A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. Could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Okay, yeah. The good thing is, while that was obviously towards the end there, a very uh, visually intensive, I guess, sort of uh, trailer, there was a lot of yells and and gushy sounds. So it made (laughs) it okay. A lot of screams. (laughs) Yeah, but it's definitely worth checking out uh, the full version with video and everything. We'll post it up on the uh, the Facebook page so you can check it out. But it was good enough in the audio, but you got to see it. Yes, indeed. So, Jay, you want to hit the old synapses? <sighs> yes. 
so this is, as you heard at the beginning, uh, kind of starts out with um, Dr. Seth Brundle. He's a scientist who has invented teleportation, or he thinks he's invented teleportation, which he really did technically invent teleportation, but uh, so far in the beginning of the movie, it's really just inanimate objects. And so he meets Gina Davis, who is a reporter uh, for Critical Magazine. She writes for a science magazine, and basically he's trying to get her to see his invention. Uh, he brings her back to his place, which, I mean, I, I want to I add a little commentary here, just a, uh, just okay. a second of editorial. Okay. Uh, it's never a good idea to have your lab in the same place that you're sleeping, in the same place you're bringing women back. Just, you know, it well, does not end well. This movie proves it. Hey, it's he's just, obviously into experimenting. I guess. <laughs> um, Get it? Uh, it looks like, oh, okay. No. It looks like he lives in the basement of some eastern block uh, torture chamber. <laughs> but, um, I would so say he more, brings, more the, better, the better lesson is not really for him, but for, um, I don't know, any would-be female journalist in the audience who <laughs> meets some random guy at a party who just claims with his in all his all right. bug-eyed glory that he has <laughs> something that's going to change the, change the world. Change the world. I have something that's going to change your world. I mean, change the world. Yes, <laughs> and yes. it's in my pants. Ah, it is. So he it's a fly is <laughs> on my fly. You like to see my fly? What yeah, the fly? I say <laughs> no, no fly. Um, so he's trying to perfect it clearly uh, because this could revolutionize human, uh, the human condition in that we can travel great distances without actually traveling. And so he talks about its particle deconstruction recombination and he's, he's trying to perfect it. Um, can I, can I one... just, real quick, can I just editorialize right there? Yeah, yeah. You do realize the biggest problem with that, right? Think about how much social media has gotten everybody up in your business and like, there's no... You know, the whole idea of, like, privacy going away. You know full well that once they started mass-producing those damn telepods, you know it wouldn't be a matter of, oh, crap, let's go, okay, we got to clean up, uh, you know, the the parents are coming over, the in-laws are coming. No. Boom. All of a sudden, you look up, they'd be standing over you. <laughs> There'd be no warning. People you couldn't stand would be like, ah, I just thought I'd teleport on over and, you know, see how you're doing. No, there would be a lock on my end. That's it's clear. <laughs> There'd be a baboon waiting in mine. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. So uh, that brings us to uh, the beginning of the movie where he attempts to teleport a living creature <laughs> yes. across between the pods, which are apparently connected and controlled uh, by a, I mean, I, I, 1969... Uh, computer. I, I mean, hey, you know what? Mock it if you will. I'll give him credit because look at a lot of movies from the eighties. The interface of that thing, though, looked halfway decent. Like I thought the way the, mean tech, the monitor, yeah, the way the the way the yeah, graphics yeah. were that they, the way they played out. Well, I I will compare this very much to the technology you see in uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Or a, oh, yeah, I don't. I was thinking no. aliens. You don't think aliens? Like it just the, some of the readouts and everything just reminded me more of the. The graphical um, nature. Well, of the that. graphics, the graphics on the on the screen actually looked better than than uh, uh, the thing. But yes. I think that the computers looked the same. They were the very archaic, you know, original computers. Yeah, like, like big, yeah, look like big, big ass Commodore sixty four M one keyboards. Yeah, um, but just not the computing power to to handle something like that. But it's always fascinating to read the readouts because you know it's all just video generated and they're just trying to make it look 
like it's a computer interface, you know, and Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum types at it. You're wondering, what is he typing? Oh, no, the, be, the best part is when they transfer can, DNA to next pod. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. <laughs> That's all he has to write. Yeah. Well, and anybody who's done any kind of computer programming, you know, I mean, just when they do that, they're, they're writing like, yeah, like you said, like, you know, full sentences, English, just, well, you know, we've talked this. about this in several different movies. We've talked about this in lots of different movies and how um, it's, there's no code writing or anything, but it's made so that the viewer can understand yeah, exactly. what's going on, obviously. So, uh, so anyway, he tries to teleport a baboon, which goes, um, I don't want to say horribly wrong because, you know, for the viewer, it was entertaining, <laughs> but <laughs> it sucks for the baboon. Uh, the baboon kind of turned inside out. So yeah. his, has, we, we have to return to that point because there's something I want to make as an observation. Okay. Yeah, we will. Um, so uh, he, he, it doesn't work. And then later on, he and, and um, Veronica, who is played by Gina Davis, we mentioned, they they knock the fly boots. Although at this <laughs> point, he's, he's not a – she gets in his fly. <laughs> he, and it he turns out apparently – Flies her to the moon. Yes, he does. And I'll tell you what. It turns out fly's got some stamina. Well, well, now this is before he's, you know, this. No, I'm talking about after. They knock the boots. Epiphany. He figures out how to fix the machine. And then he. Well, you know, yeah, that is an epiphany. Yeah, he fixes it. So, of course, the moral of the story is sex solves all scientific problems. Um, and then uh, so they continue on with their their tryst. And at one point, um, uh, Gina Davis is, uh, I guess it's her editor or whatever, who they used to be involved in yes stathis was it stathis stathis borens borens yeah played by john getz yes blood simple he was in social network recently zodiac he's a great actor i love that guy yes i like him i like him a lot and uh he's done a lot of stage stuff too and if you look up some of his uh past he's done a lot of great plays and other things that he's got started in before he got into film but um anyway he's jealous so he threatens that he's going to start to uh, play the story or, or take the story away from Gina and just run it without her seeing it. She run. Skype just pooped out. Are you there? Oh. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Um, for those of you who are uh, listening, you may or may not know, uh, Joel and I live in uh, sunny, rainy Florida. Uh, yeah. We think called hurricanes. And uh, although we are not in the direct path of Isaac at the moment, although I wish I was because he poured a mean martini. Um, then- <laughs> wow. So uh, we are getting some weather, significant weather right now. So we are yeah. we are typing and podcasting at our own peril. So anyway, um, uh, uh, the editor, he's going to play the, the story. Or he's going to run the story in the paper. Gina Davis runs off to stop him. And uh, Seth Brundle thinks he is – that she's running off to be with him. And he's jealous and he's drunk. And this is where we learn moral number two. Never get drunk – and telepod. I mean, really? Yeah. Just don't. You're, you're going to miss little things like a fly in the fly. telepod with you. Which, which, which? Go, go ahead and say that part because I have to make an observation on yeah, that. Yeah. So he yeah. gets. He basically gets drunk and mad and decides he's going to test it on himself, and he's going to accelerate his experiment. So he gets naked, gets into the teleportation device, sets the automatic, uh, de- the automatic transporter, and transports himself into the next pod, and he's okay. Yeah. Right. He's fine. And then over the course of the next, you know, couple of days, he realizes he thinks that that whole thing purified him and has made him stronger and more virile. Well, apparently it did. 
um, because he is now insatiable and he can't, you know, Gina Davis is kind of scared of him. So he runs out to a bar and while at the bar, one of my favorite scenes of this picks up a 45 year old milf. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, gets real up in these guys business at the bar. Of course, he's, you know, a geeky scientist, but he's looking for a piece of fly. (laughs) Some Spanish fly. You know what I'm saying? Funky Cole Medina. Um, so he uh, he decide he he challenges this big. You know, Jay, Jay, I love that tone, Loke. I just <laughs> I love I love the way he does the rap. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. Hmm. So the arm wrestling scene. Yes, one which, of my. Which favorite, I'm just so. going to throw this out there. Obviously, Gina Davis's character Veronica could not keep him sexually satisfied. Clearly, my, my guess is. In the moment, she would, like, say, pass out. She would go unconscious from their interludes. She would, you know, go to the bathroom to, to you know, wipe all the blood up. Um, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm guessing his hand went immediately to his crotch. <clears throat> and he basically turned into Fisty McPounderson. Therefore, creating the strongest forearm in human history, which then led to the arm wrestling scene, which then led to Jay. Uh, he basically snaps a guy's arm in two. And um, <laughs> one thing I'll point out for those of you in the audience who have not seen this movie, uh, don't eat at least several hours before watching this film. Because oh, Jason's a puss. <laughs> it is. Um, it, it leaves nothing to the imagination. It is definitely very graphic, uh, but I love the, the the arm wrestling scene because it's it literally the way they did the special effect of this guy's arm just snapping in yeah, the bone. Full-on you know, compound fracture, baby. Yeah, the thing that surprised me is the chick still went home with Yeah, him. I know. I mean, really? Breaks this guy's arm well, in half, and she's like, yeah. She she does nothing if she, uh, if she doesn't keep her word, and <laughs> she does other things too, apparently, but... Um, when, and then of course that leads to her going home with, uh, uh, uh Brendel and she kind of gets a little freaked out and Gina Davis shows up and the girl's like, I'm, I'm a little afraid. And Jeff Goldblum says, no, don't be afraid. And that's when we get the classic line where yeah. she says, wait, 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 hold, hold on, Jay. You got you, it. Do, oh, um, uh, uh, well, actually, you know, it sucks. I don't have it queued up. Go ahead and keep talking and I'll queue it up. <laughs> Gina Davis shows up in her trench coat sporting a fabulous scarf. Her hair seems to be perfect, but she's out in the rain. I mean, it's like bad weather. Yeah, it really was. Mm -hmm. With nothing. And then she kind of comes up and she watched. She must have been watching him for a while. Uh She was just standing there, just kind of watching. I'm like, what? Were you going to wait until they were doing it and And, then stop? and, and And then she says, No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Which I think everyone can agree is one of the classic lines from horror cinema. Yeah, it, it's people fantastic. will say that and they don't even know where they're getting it from. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is this is the the origin of that and fantastically delivered line. And um, of course, this is really where the movie uh, changes uh, because, but not not for a bad way, not in a bad way. This is where his metamorphosis really begins because up until now he thinks all these. Things happening to him are good, you know. He's purified. He's uh, he he's become metahuman because he's really he, into sugar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, then this is the point at which he kind of realizes, yeah, I'm part fly, 
Not McFly, just fly. Not Spanish fly. Not fly like cool super fly, just fly. And yeah, he basically goes downhill from here. Not not uh, you can't fly if you're high. No, no, not super fly snookum. That that's no, no. not it either. Um it's just like smashing the wall. It, it, it's not even up. that he, he 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 can't. It's not that he doesn't believe he can fly. He believes he could touch the sky. And, and it's not. He didn't swallow a fly. No, because he might I don't die. Know why, but he might die. Um, but he, yeah, no, we're talking. How long do you want to keep this going? I'm done. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I got nothing else. Yeah. So um, his face starts to change. He start and he thinks he's sick and dying and. Um, good guess <laughs> um and, and then of course he starts to realize he can do things that flies can do and so he learns he can walk up the walls kind of crawl up eat on there poop. and he can and of course he can eat like a fly and for mm. those of you who are who are not familiar with the eating habits of common <laughs> fly uh the way that a house fly eats is it lands on something vomits up its intestine or its uh, stomach contents including its stomach acid onto whatever it's touching Let's it digest and then slurps it right back up. Which and it is, does that as it jumps around and you know touches yeah. your arm and on your food and yeah, goes which is why, by the way, when they land on your food, you freak the f out. <laughs> so of course, Jeff Goldblum has to eat like a fly. So he's like, "Watch this!" <laughs> and it dissolves. Oh, does it ever dissolve? Oh my God! It is the most disgusting. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Wait, it's not go there yet. Right, so are you done with your synopsis? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the rest of the movie, he basically goes downhill and becomes more man-fly. He doesn't transform into a fly-fly. Like, this is more literally, you think of a genetic mutation combination. He goes down into some fantastic effects, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. But, um, you know, so that's basically, the rest of the movie is him trying to uh, uh, fix himself and trying to figure out some way to reverse this uh, all the way to the the bloody gory end which the entire thing is bloody gory so this so so let, do you want to give it uh give it away now how you feel about this movie or you want to get, go through a couple points about it specifically before That's, you uh i'll tell you how i feel okay i'll start all right um well you start because you said no, you no, liked no, it. no nope you first okay all right i blew my wad first all right yeah that's um, per usual yes um i remember seeing this when i was younger um and i remember parts of it and there were very distinct parts and i liked Translation, it made you cry it, and you could never finish it. Didn't. No, no. I, I remember finishing it. I have this condition, remember? Oh, that's um, right. so, yeah, you have, a, you have uh, an illness. I, and I've seen it, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. I rewatched it. It did not have any cinematic nostalgia disorder. I didn't watch it and think, oh my God, this was awful. Why did I think it was great? Um, I think this is a really, really good movie. I love the way. There is so much uh, depth to, I think, the story. And and Jeff Goldblum is is I really like his character, especially when he plays very intelligent characters, which I think he kind of gets typecast a little bit in. Uh, yeah, for, yeah he definitely gets the scientist. Yes, he right. Plays, he, plays like a, he plays the good kind of cool geek. Yes, um, and he does that in a lot of different settings. So he does yeah. it as a straight drama. He also does it kind of in a com, you know, a comedy. When we just talked about Buckaroo Banzai, um, so he. He does well in all of those, but this one I love him in, and I love how he is sort of the reflective muse at several points in spotting poetry, and he kind of just has this far-off look in his eye when he when he talks about something. So I really liked it. Now, 
I thought the effects were fantastic. I thought some of the work that they did with uh, the different um, transformations was amazing. And well, you I do also- realize that one of the big guys uh, we we talked about that uh, Chris Wallace, you and I offline, we were talking about Chris Wallace, the guy who designed all the visual effects, was um, the same guy who did the Gremlins, right? Who did the Gremlin stuff? It was fantastic stuff. Yeah, um, and. I actually, uh, getting ready for the show today, watched the behind the scenes of how they did and and what they were planning for the last sequence where there was a lot of effects going on, and it was amazing. And the and the way they did it was just really really fantastic. So the film was great. I really loved it. It is one of the grossest things I have seen in a long time. <laughs> I forgot how gross it was. Really, <laughs> I mean. It was, and I'm not saying it makes it bad, and I'm not saying I dislike it. It just really, it's a, it's a stomach turner. I forgot that they're, it's, it's great that they don't turn away from all the things that are happening, but everything from when, at, in the beginning, when he realizes he's changing, he pulls his fingernails out. Yeah, it's like it's slow, going, man. You like, well, the best part is when he starts squeezing on the one tip of his finger, and just all the pus shoots out and hits oh, the mirror. God, and, and the, spe- the sound effects is just it's like oh, pop. Shit. Oh. Yeah, it's like a, like it's, it's almost like imagining like a really infected fingernail. Yes. People are listening and are going, "Oh dear God!" And <laughs> and he just he pushes, he just kind of works it off, and it just and, it, oh. and when it pulls away, there's that like string, of yes. just a little goo. Yeah, yeah, just gore that just goes with it. Yeah, and I watched I watched the behind the scenes after I saw the film, so yeah. that actually helped me some. Because they actually play in the behind the scenes. You can find it on YouTube. If you look up behind the scenes on YouTube, it's a two-parter. It's yeah, well, I watched a, a little bit of the first part before we started. Um, but it helped a little because there are a lot. The fingernails were gross. The whole when he eats oh, was disgusting. Oh, well, when he yeah, starts of course. To, and without giving know, away, I don't want to because this would be a major spoiler thing. But there's a scene where he uses his vomit on a uh, human being. <laughs> oh, yes, on yes. both on both this person's yes, hand yes. and then on the person's ankle, and it's not like okay, you see the like the because it's like this white, creamy. Imagine you remember when Bishop and Aliens, you know, gets ripped in half, or, or yes. Ash, any android in the Aliens universe gets ripped <laughs> in half. It's that consistency, and I think they said it was like a combo of honey cream and yeah. something else. Yeah, and eggs. It was yeah, eggs. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think it was eggs. And. <laughs> And he like he retches that all over them. So first yeah. you've got this guy vomiting, you know, this gross looking stuff, which mm-hmm. then goes to acid and just melts. And it's like Cronenberg does not flinch. No, not. And that's the one thing about this that I'll give him credit for. There was no cutaway. And let me just it's say fun. something and before I before I get into how I feel, because I'm going to make you wait because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dick. Um, I feel like. This is an example of what great horror that also has, you know, is infused with gore where it works really, really well. It was like the thing. I mean, some of my favorite horror movies of all time are extremely gory. Yeah. I think the key here, and this movie epitomizes my point about why I think it doesn't work in a lot of modern day movies, like the whole torture porn we've gotten into that. I'm not going to that right now. But that being said, it's... When you watch this movie, all the characters are fully, no pun intended, fleshed out. Mm-hmm. They are their humanity stays intact from beginning to end. I love the fact, for instance, that John Getz's character, he's set up as this just douchey, bad yeah. and he's an asshole. Yeah. He's a total asshole. Yeah. But they manage, and it's a big piece of this is because Getz is just a hell of a great actor, but he you you sympathize with him and like yeah. you begin to see that all that was a facade a lot of it was anyway and he truly loves 
Veronica, and they've got this triangle. And this movie really, really gets right the idea of this love story and it makes it tragic and you really even though Brundle is disgusting you really can't help but empathize with them in other words I feel like the filmmakers loved and cared about their characters and the humanity of the horror that they were going through and oh, that it's... is what makes a great great horror movie and why when gore is fine because it's not so goddamn nihilistic and ugly just for their own fucking sake of it <laughs> Sorry, it's quite all right. Yeah, this movie, actually, no, it, this movie is tragically beautiful. I think it, it is. No, and and I love because really this movie takes place aside from some very rare scenes. This this is really just about uh, Brundle and about uh, uh, Gina Davis' character and and a, and really a little bit about uh, as Getz comes in. But it's it's very contained. It's like a play. And and, and I heard anytime Cronenberg you do say that, that before, it's like a play. Anytime you do that, you have to have that that really human element to it. And these it, this is a very emotional movie. I mean, uh, a lot of horror movies aren't necessarily emotional unless you get into you know fear or something like that. But this has a deeper, deeper element that is more around, like you said, there's the, the element of real love. Well, here's the thing. I think with Cronenberg especially, and I love and I really appreciate Cronenberg because mm-hmm. I feel like Cronenberg, first off, makes he he does he's never. Like a, been one of these apologists for making horror movies. He doesn't say, mm-hmm. "Well, really, what my pictures are you know, <laughs> existential yeah. treaties on." Blah, 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 shut up. I mean, they can sometimes be that as well, but yeah. they're horror movies. He acknowledged, "I make horror movies." I mean, he's acted in horror movies. He's he he embraces, I think, that label to a degree. Although he's obviously done non horror movies as well. Sure. But what I really love about him is I feel like he makes horror movies for adults. Or at the very least, for people, for people, what the hell is a people? For people <laughs> capable, which is the word I was looking for, oh, for okay. people capable of going a little deeper than just the surface. And you know, his uh, if you look into Cronenberg's history, his uh, dad was a journalist, his mom was like a concert pianist, which of course mm-hmm. uh, somebody pointed out. It's kind of neat that when Goldblum and uh, Davis's characters first go back to his lab. What's the first thing he does? He jumps on the piano, and she's a journalist. So the fact that ah, you, you had that kind nice. of yeah. So yeah, that's cool. but little touches like that. But the fact that he was raised in this house where you know literature was important. He's a very intelligent guy. You know, he's from Canada. Much better school system. And <laughs> you know, he, you know, he's he's very you know very intellectual, smart guy. And you know. I love the idea that he he will insert little things in it. Like you you made a comment about metamorphosis. Well, one of the notes I took was the somewhat subtle parallels to uh, if you're familiar with uh, Kafka, Franz Kafka's uh, The Metamorphosis, which is about a man who wakes up one day and he's a big bug. And yeah. that one of the lines that Brundle says, which was a really great line that I'm going to have to I had it late, sitting here and then it damn you IMDb. Oh, the line, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now that dream is over and the insect is awake. That's an actual line from that story. But, yeah, uh, but they just yeah. had the character say it, and he's so, at that point, you think he's going mad, and, you know, yeah. and in true kind of classic movie monster fashion, think about how, this is this movie's actually very classic that way, that, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's the, the poor, deformed creature, uh, you know, the fates are conspiring against him. It's tragic. Yep. And, and, you know, his love is the only one that can potentially save him, though I still cannot, for the life of me, understand if the man's freaking ear fell off and he barfed on his food in front of her, she hugs him. <laughs> that was yeah. actually, I think that more than anything grossed me out. 
I'm like, why? <laughs> I, mean, I understand. Like, you might like pat, take your tips of your fingers and pat his shoulders and be like, "It's okay, <laughs> Seth." Oh god! Wait, well, you made that like that face of like, "Oh god!" Like, like so one of those like, awkward friend hugs. You yeah, know, you're yeah. kind of like you're just kind of yeah, your your arms kind of stretched way out behind his back and you kind of tap it. It's okay, buddy. Oh god! Please don't yeah, because something's gonna squish. Something's gonna pop and as you squeeze well, it. He's, she's sitting there. He's holding a donut and he just goes. He goes, and he, like, through, and they, with with the stuff just stringing off his lips, that was really disgusting. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Fish me, yeah. Fish me, yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> oh. But sorry. So anyway, yeah. So to your point, I think that's what I love and appreciate about Cronenberg. A lot of his movies are like that, and he, and also the idea of the themes. Like I forgot because I knew a lot of his movies deal with the idea of the body and the flesh and. Um, mm-hmm. Just the you know you look at everything from you know Videodrome and scanners and dead ringers and uh, the brood they all have this science element to them and this one though really calls out that that idea of, of the flesh a lot which in Videodrome that's one of the you know was it the um, uh, about the new flesh I mean you know there's very consistent yeah you know themes that connect his all of his stories together that that are in this genre so and i just like that i appreciate that he goes to those lengths i like that yeah I, I i like it and this one it worked really well and there was a lot like i said a lot of depth to the story and to the to the script um and the dialogue that was delivered i mean goldblum did a fantastic job but just the writing in it i think was was fantastic oh, yeah. and, and the way that he delivered the, the lines was great but they don't have to explain all those things and they don't have to go into like the line from kafka or, no, or he the, just says it poetry they talk about yeah it just kind of comes out and it gives you that sense that tone that feel and um it blends really really well with with the way that the story comes out now on top of it is this whole and it's almost and this is interesting because um you know the producer of this and if you read anything about the movie was mal brooks which is really weird which is where all the comedy parts were from yes right because all the comedy you don't know that well and and i was reading an article about it and actually said he didn't want anybody to know he was producing this because he didn't want that people to think that it was comedy and not take it seriously or that there would be that kind of taint to it because of what he had been known for doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, Mel Brooks also did uh, produce another movie similar to this that brought Spaceballs. <laughs> no, the elephant man. He produced the elephant man, the David Lynch yeah. movie. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. So it's, it's got that similar theme to it where it, well, his company did Brooks, uh, Brooks film is, mm. he did, you know, his, his, film company the production company but um it's it's got that similar you know that i didn't do anything to deserve this you know maybe a twist of fate or you know karma something but it's that still sympathetic character with that grotesque well, element i would, I would argue it. the big different difference story there, well, different story. well and to yeah it's definitely about the, the idea of deformity and you know where is humanity the line between but humanity healing that and... away yeah right but healing that away to at the core of it is really humanity and i want to get back to that when we when we talk about the very very end of this well, film well, and <laughs> but of course the big difference is that the elephant man was born that way whereas brundle basically got drunk and with half a boner got jealous <laughs> over a chick he pretty much had just but, met and decides it'd be a good idea to stick damn. his ass in a telepod that maybe what 24 40 hours earlier had turned a baboon inside out <laughs> well, which, which brings I didn't to one say the... they both they were the same morality tale. <laughs> okay, well, and and I would like to ask one other question. Yeah, you 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 did you you got some schooling, right? Uh, you know a about little. you got some you know, you got some science studies and you're a little learning. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just a thought, as a scientist, mm-hmm. 
Why is it after he turns the baboon inside out that he has the brilliant idea for the steak? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be the idea that you would say, hmm, start off with an inanim- inanimate object. Okay, everything's cool. So now I'm going to take something that is or was, you know, was alive, is organic material to see how it reacts. Like, you would do it by degrees, would you not? Yeah, I would have to say it would make for a fairly boring movie if he actually went through the trials of, say, transporting bacterium to see if there were problems. No doubt, no doubt. But actually then, going up to plants. Yes, and, uh, I, and I get, I get that the steak thing was so that they could have the her make the comment about it tasted synthetic. Then he has his aha moment. I get it. I'm just simply saying it. It it, sh- it kind of shone this light on. That's kind of a leap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just feel like it, it, sh- it really on his on his scientific method, let's just say that he would put well, the baboon in first and, and, let's, and let's talk follow it up with a steak. Where did he get the baboon? Yeah, that's he true. Well, he did know he did say everything was like sent to him, all the different components, people he had ordered them. So I'm assuming the baboons were ordered as well. Somebody put them together in a shop and sent them out. <laughs> Made in China. And actually, and- aren't baboons, can't they get pretty pissy? Oh my gosh! Something I thought. You know, I'm going to get nerdy for a second, so hold on to your pants. Okay. Um, that's something I thought of in this because that's actually a, that's actually a baboon, a big male baboon, and baboons are very difficult uh, to deal with, even in a zoo setting where you're not handling them. And I thought there's an animal handler behind the scenes of this movie Just that had the gonads to to put that thing up in there and hope that it just didn't go crazy because their teeth are as big as a tiger's teeth did you ever see shakma doesn't sound familiar okay i think god i wish i could remember the guy's name because i remember there's this big kind of scandal involving him as a filmmaker like it involved like people like losing money it's a movie actually i think for a movie that was shot in and around the orlando area but Mm. it's beside the point um it was uh roddy mcdowell was in it and it was one of those movies that's really bad, but you can't help but watch it and like it. <laughs> and this group of college kids, along with Roddy McDowell, who I believe is a professor, get locked in this office building, because I don't think it's supposed to be on the campus. I think it's just an office building, huh. if memory serves. Right. And this baboon gets loose out of a lab in said office building and goes on a killing rampage. Oh, no, I don't, I don't remember seeing and that. And they use, like, a real baboon, dude, and that thing... <laughs> They're scary as hell. Uh, oh oh man. my god! Yeah, that's what, that's the reason why the movie works at all. Because if they had just done something stupid with like a puppet, it wouldn't have worked. But yeah. this thing is like vicious. <laughs> yeah, they are. It would scare yeah, the, they are. that thing's coming at me. I would have pissed my pants. Well, I mean, I normally piss my pants, but I would have really, <laughs> really, I would have let loose. Um, well, and it's you know when, when normally when you have movies with primates, you usually have apes and apes. You know, with chimps and and with gorillas, there's a certain amount, even monkeys, with orangutans. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that what, they're all monkeys shut up we're all, we're all um, monkeys don't poke a primatologist <laughs> um so when you know when you talk about great apes there, there's some uh capability to train them or at least to uh, get them to a point that you can control them a little bit on um in any given situation a baboon is actually the, the largest species of monkey oh and i was right then they are really wild and they're not you know they're they're intelligent but not domesticatably intelligent and <laughs> one of those things goes crazy on you i mean you're losing you're in trouble arm. so yeah i i sat and watched that and i was like i'd rather not be that guy on the set <laughs> i'd rather not be jeff goldblum who was holding it <laughs> right right 
that's that'll turn actually, that turns out that, Roy that, moment. Ear, that ear thing was not, in fact, a special effect. It wasn't fake. No, they it just was ripped off filming. earlier in production, and they just kind of <laughs> was keeping it there with scotch tape, and occasionally it would fall. They're like, oh, that works. No, this is perfect for the moment. Let it go. Improv. <laughs> and they called that monkey Mike Tyson after that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's ludicrous. That's absolutely ludicrous. Oh, yeah. So... Anyway, the other thing I really liked about this, or what I was, t- or, um, that I thought worked well, was the 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 palette of the movie was really consistent throughout. And even when he became very contrasting to the colors of the background, because he became much more red and kind yeah. of oozing and and uh, lots of colorful. oozing in this picture. Yeah, lots of oozing. But um, even the, me- the the mechanics of the things he did, because I felt like, like I said, this was a very encapsulated uh, set. And everything was very cold. It was very hard plastic, metal, that's glass. Very, that's very Cronenberg. And then everything about him was extremely organic. I mean, mm-hmm. everything. And they really, I think, pressed that because the computer is cold and you've got the, you know, the readouts are very cold and um, everything in it until, you know, he actually starts changing. And, you know, even the mm-hmm. stuff he pulls off, even his bathroom, if you look at the set of his bathroom, it's very stark it's mm-hmm. just a tub in the you know in the in the corner and it's everything is meant like i said it feels very eastern block kind of you know circa 1980s and even veronica's apartment because like, it's one of the few in, in the uh her yeah. boss's office that yeah. they're just very minimalist they're they're yeah. they're more i guess domesticated more friendly looking but they're not there's still a level of almost as if it was like a model home. Like it doesn't yeah. feel lived in. And I think on intentionally, like it doesn't feel sure. uh, that it's, there's a lot of warmth there. I mean, more so than to your point than, uh, than Brundle's pad, but <laughs> his futon. Yes. His, his, his couch. Yeah. His couch his pull out couch. But uh, yeah. So anyway, I love that part of it. And I thought it was, that was played out very well in this, you know, that, the shots in it were very good. Cinematography was great. And oh, then, speaking, of course, speaking the, of cinematography, just another beef along the lines of the uh, programming beef. Uh huh. Newsflash, folks. I had a video camera, a quasar, I might add, that my papa purchased for me in the late 80s. The old country? In the old country, papa, yes. <laughs> bought me the quasar <laughs> from the JCPenney catalog. Uh huh. I love it when, in movies, they show through the viewfinder of said video camera, and there's virtually no difference at all, aesthetically, with the 35mm Panavision camera that's shooting the primary, you know, the master shot, the, the main scene. You're supposed to be seeing point of view through the ca- the video camera, and it looks exactly, oh, and it looks exactly the, same. the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That drives me crazy because they don't even try to fudge it they don't even try to make it look like crappy video and even if it looks crappy like they don't do a good job of making it look like it's a great you know it's a video they're trying to shoot it through you know it's going to be on film ultimately so it's still going to look yeah but you you at least need to do something to pull the viewer out of oh this is through a different little camera you know this is but yeah yeah Yeah. good point yeah it's the kind of thing and it's not just this movie a lot of movies do that and i understand because it looks you know they don't want to I guess draw too much attention, but I go to, well, it doesn't look like it's a video camera. It looks like she's looking through a really expensive film camera. <laughs> yes, $50,000 film camera. <clears throat> yeah. 
So, but and, I thought all of it was put together well. So, oh yeah, it, uh, it really and the effects, dude. The effects I think hold up extremely because I was trying to really pay attention to his uh, rubber suit that he was in because it's obviously a rubber suit. Yeah, but they hid it in enough shadow and ooze. Yep. That, I mean, maybe once or twice while he was crawling up the wall, which I thought that was a great effect, and I'm sure they use that sort of traditional same thing like in Nightmare on Elm Street when Tina's being dragged along the ceiling. It's been used in. Mini movies, yeah, like Poltergeist, I, when Joe Beth this, Williams but, is on, you know, they rotate the room, and I'm sure they yeah. did the same thing. But damn, if it didn't look good. No, I I want to say something for that for that because um I they did a fantastic job at that because um especially did you watch the deleted scene? Yes. Okay, so we want to talk about for a second the deleted scene, <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what it is, there was a scene that was actually screened in the original screening of this film. That in Cronenberg's hometown, I believe, yes. where they're going to be a hell of a lot more tolerant of, uh, the, of his Cronenbergisms. Right. Um, that according to legend, during this scene, someone in the theater actually vomited uh, and it was cut. And the scene was actually lost for many years and was recovered uh, I don't know, early 2000s or something when it was being put on DVD or something like that. Um, and it's kind of become somewhat of a legend. Well, the scene is this in. <laughs> Brundle, he's trying to figure out how to solve his problem and separate himself. He decides he's going to – he set the the pods. He's now got three of them. He set them up to fusion mode, uh, similar to what he's doing towards the end of the movie, and he's going to test fusion mode. And he puts a baboon in his, one. His last remaining. Another one. Yeah, he's had one left. He got it. You get him in Paris. And a kitty cat. And it shows the computer kind of calculating, you know, how, how much they weigh, what are they made of, you know, what, what kind of the configuration, DNA, and then he transports them together. And in full, you know, he's got his rubber suit on because at this point he looks, you know, he's transformations, you know, third of the way there, opens it up, and this mutated cat boon or <laughs> babat, whatever. A babat, yeah. Real quick, do you think the reason uh, for the breakdown? Uh, really was because in the algorithm he didn't account for the tabbiness of the cat? I think he didn't excise the hairball before he put the cat in. Oh, I think that threw it off. That really he didn't would, let the cat hork would, it up. The, every freaking time, man. Every time. You got to get that cat to hork that. Ugh. So, uh, and, you know, it looks like, I think it looks like something out of the thing. You know, yeah, it, oh, totally. I thought the same thing. Oh, Absolutely. And, the best part is it literally like attacks him. Weird sound of a baboon like <laughs> jumps out at him and attacks him yeah. and scratches him and then kind of flutters across the floor to the corner of the room. Which, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad they cut it out because of that. It was gross at this point. It was always no. funny. It was. And that the way it scuttled across the floor, it, it didn't have the same effect that like when Brundlefly walks across the floor or anything. It, it literally looked like someone took a, a stuffed animal and kind of ran Dra- it across yeah, the floor. Yeah, or dragged yeah. it with a with a hidden rope <laughs> or something. So then he gets a pipe. He goes over, and bashes his the... brains in and splatters it. And it's still twitching. Yes, it's it's kind of – and the blood is coming up through the middle of it and you know he he kills it. So then he decides – and he, he's frustrated and angry. He climbs the wall. But in that scene, he he gets onto the wall next to a shelf. And I rewound and watched this over again. The shelf literally looks like an office shelf. There's papers on it, yeah. uh, and it looks very, very natural. And there's all these things on there. It just looks like a loose shelf. And he then climbs the wall. But his fluidity of movement getting onto the wall and then getting onto the ceiling, I knew it was a rotating room 
but you couldn't tell because yeah. the way that that the setup was on the floor, I'm like, how are they doing that? I mean, they put it's a good old optical illusion, for, man. It was fantastic. Yeah. So then, of course, he climbs out to the roof. Um, he's very frustrated and oh god, my. Which uh, actually, I like that because it's very reminiscent of the classic monster type thing, like the Wolf Man or. You now know. tell me this. Yeah. Did you not think when he stood up on that roof and he was kind of crouched there, were you waiting for him to howl? Well, either howl or try to ring a bell because he had a Quasimodo thing going on. Because he, I swear, it looked like he was going to go or something. Yeah, it, it kind of had that vibe, yes. But anyway, so he gets a stitch in the side and then he starts, oh, and he falls off the roof and he kind of falls down and he's on top of another <laughs> roof there. And this little grotesque, tiny little arm. Looks like, like a, a roach leg. leg. I know it's supposed to be a fly leg, but it looked like a roach leg. Yeah, yeah. It grows out of the, out of his side. No, 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 no. Grows implies some sort of like nice fluid. No, it Sorry. bursts out of his like, abdomen. Of his uh, yes, and as any oh. of us do, if a grotesque fly leg... This is the part where the person threw up, I guarantee you. Out of our leg, out of our side, uh, we chew it off. Which is what he did. He grabbed it and chewed it off and as the rest of this film we said they show every juicy <laughs> as he's ripping at it yeah detail literally there is just he's chewing it off you're watching somebody chew off a fly leg uh, a bloody human fly leg and then he they, he drops it down on the ground and that's the end of the scene but that part was just ugh. what did you say about me the only part that grossed me out in this movie is when gina davis hugged him she hugged him there's <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm serious i Love. i Disgusts you. No, That's no, what... no, no, no. Pressing your bare face against a guy, side of a guy's head when his ear just fell off and there's like all kind of pussy, uggy, the stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. that's gross. It was nasty. So that scene was just, oh, it was gross. <laughs> yes, I will say though, and I don't know if I officially said this, but I love this movie. Do you still love it? Yeah. And, and I, I would put it up there. I assumed I would like it. Like, because I know, I know Cronenberg well enough to, to, know that there would be enough there things within it that I could think about and uh you know but it wasn't a total C N D it wasn't something yeah, you were no, no. And and I'd say this falls in the category of like the blob or Robocop for me where it was yeah. just like, yeah, this movie holds up well, really it, well. It, it's a great freaking I movie. felt like I actually appreciated more. I yeah. felt like mm-hmm. there was yes. more than oh, yeah, yeah. as a kid I didn't get, you know, half of the crap they were talking about. I just thought it was cool because it was gross. Yeah, but I, I got more. Now we didn't mention this. Cronenberg, you know, makes a cameo in this, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> and of course, he's the gynecologist. <laughs> because Gina Davis gets pregnant when her and, and Brundle get, you know, they're, I guess, well, Veronica gets pregnant when her and Brundle knock the boots. And she's not sure if it's going to have <clears throat> fly like qualities. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the maggot scene. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she gives birth to a big ass magnet, maggot, which of course in, I, I guess I guess you could say this is more reminiscent of H.R. Uh, uh, Geiger, is it Geiger or Geiger? I do this every episode where I can't remember how to pronounce his name. Call him Geiger. Geiger counter, yes. Even though yep. there's no e in there, it's just G I G. Whatever. So you meet him and he says, uh, "You bastard! You misspell my name. I must kill you." Ew. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. It, it, it was very phallic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very, a big phallic-y maggot that they pull out of her crotch. <laughs> <laughs> that Cronenberg himself. Yeah, pulls out. 
pulls out of Gina Davis. Which I don't know if you read the little, and again, IMDb. Take it for uh, what it's worth. I feel like that's the little asterisk caveat I have to add every time. <laughs> but supposedly, the reason why Cronenberg decided to play that part was because he met Martin Scorsese for the first time, and Scorsese's first thing he said to him was that he thought Cronenberg looked like a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. <laughs> and he does have a very doctor-like quality to him. Yeah, he's got kind of the white hair. Yeah, if you're going to cast the you know, central casting and you're going to cast a doctor, totally would cast Cronenberg in that role. Yeah. And that was the impetus, I believe, for him to Why play that. Why he decided to be yes. that. Yes. Yeah. I'll have to ask Martin next time I see him. Well, you know, and you ask him, say, how's it going, eyebrows? Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> so I'll, I can say that because I'll, I'll never forget to be <laughs> yeah, him. Right. Yes. Okay, so I'll... Go oh. ahead. Go ahead. No, please go. Go. Okay. I want to interrupt you again. No. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite part of this movie, and I'm going to give away the ending of it. No. Please. There was a fantastic scene in this. At the very end of the movie, basically, uh, Brendel is making his final Ooh, transformation. Hold on. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Fall off your stool? No. I hit play on something I didn't mean to, but go ahead. <laughs> Keep your hand out of your pants. Yeah. Um, uh, at the very end, he's making his final transformation to a uh, Brundlefly, which is basically his final morphed form. Um, and again, that back to the, the behind the scenes thing really shows how they did it. It's fascinating. But he makes his final transformation, and he's going to merge him, Gina Davis, and their baby, who she's still pregnant with. Going to merge them all together in the clip that you heard at the very beginning of the episode into the ultimate family. Right. As they're yep. all going to merge together. Yep. This big pile of love. And, and so but he's trying to drag her into the one pod. He locks her in and, um, you know, things happen and, he, and she kind of gets out and he gets transported with part of a pod into another one. So it's now Brundle and Fly and Transporter Pod all mixed together into this terrible you know gross thing that kind of slides out they made the wires even look like they were organic and alive and yeah. he's crawling on the floor and the gina davis makes... melding of man and machine yes and insect. it was not pretty it was not pretty um and so he's crawling across the floor gina davis picks up the shotgun like she's gonna kill him but then she drops it down yeah, she, she can't, can't do, do it. it and he like the the fly claw arm real i mean it's very deliberate and i love the pacing that they yeah. did this with grabs the end of the shotgun and just slowly and methodically just pulls the shotgun up to his head and bows his head down yeah and just holds it up there like kill me and yeah his, by the way man, i'd like to point out moment, see, if this movie was made today by many many modern day filmmakers they would have added in Because that was at the end of the original, and yeah, yeah, no. Um, but it was completely unseen, and his face, of course, is completely transformed. Yeah, you can, there's no, there's no emotion to that face. It's a fly no. face. Yeah, and and but that movement, I mean, really, I was like, oh man, I mean yeah. that, yeah, strikes, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> it, it is, and that it's surprising to feel an emotion like that at that scene. But the way they set it up, and then yeah. of course. She drops and the she gun. She blows his effing head off and, and it just explodes she... like a watermelon hit by a sledgehammer in a Gallagher concert. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And it had sound effects. It was, it was. Yeah, it was very gushy. But the moment was great. And it's something you well, don't I think typically that's Gina see. Davis, a lot of credit should go to her as well. Because obviously at some point, <laughs> Goldblum is pretty 
much unable to give across other than he's so creepy and gross and, and, oh, and he does the little fly twitch the little oh, yeah, yeah twitch yeah 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 it's great <laughs> it reminds me of me when i've been taking my medication oh yeah <laughs> so <laughs> he you know he he pulls that off and i mean there's there's something in his eyes at points but she's the thing he's... that allows the audience to still connect to the tragedy of the situation. It wasn't for her, and it was just, you know, this yeah. gross fest and turned into a typical kind of, you know, monster mash situation. It wouldn't have worked the way it does, but no. it's actually just really freaking sad. And, and you know what's amazing is if you when you watch some of the behind the scenes, they, she talks about those last set of scenes, like the part where she pulls his jaw off. Yeah. Animatronic, you know, but it's him, her, you know, his jaw falls off. Yeah. Point. But she talks about all those final scenes and that scene alone where she's doing that. She said that scene, she's crying. She's supposed to be crying as she's fighting him off. It took him two weeks to do that scene. Yep. She so she's talking about that. She had to cry for two weeks. That's crazy. And she said at the end of it, her eyes were puffy and, you know, she was spent. But the fact that she still pulled those emotions off and they all looked real. Oh, yeah. Even after that many takes and that much work, it was it was fascinating. Well, really and that's really where it comes down to. I mean, I realize you you have zero respect for actors and all, but none, not a lick. But, unless you're Lance Henderson or uh, Kelly Maroney, and you come on our show. <laughs> in which case, you will totally, totally have respect for you. Burned it. No, you burned it. <laughs> no, it, no, seriously. I think that that's really though it speaks to when we talk. Everyone kind of says it now. Oh, What's acting? I mean, you just sit there. You yeah. put, no, no, no. To be able to carry out emotion. And have it be real and true as you react to a big latex, foamy, red caro server colored gooey mess. And and we actually feel for you and feel for the situation and care and it's sad and all these mixed emotions like you were saying, Jay. Yep. That that's a hell of a thing to pull off. And then maybe even more impressive than that, I come back to John Getz because his stuff which obviously hey he goes some other so through some other things I won't give away but he there's some real subtle things that he does when yeah. cuz he they start they they play him like such a d-bag yeah. but then towards the end he really almost becomes the hero it's like yeah. he starts off as yeah. the antagonist it's a really great triangle that they use and and just the the way Cronenberg was able to balance that out so nicely because you know it starts off with the gets character is the antagonist brundle is yeah the... but he's not but he's not completely uh one-dimensional you know he's not just a bad guy bad guy you i know? think at the beginning they borderline played in that way i think gets himself is able to infuse him with enough believability and reality yeah. that he seems real i think uh, any uh, any lesser actor i think it would have come off as just this horny uh, jerk off yeah but but what i think the fact that it goes it makes that Yet it's all about transformation, right? It yeah. transforms the yeah. whole triangle. They're all the relationships. So he's, you know, jealous. Even he th- transforms. He yeah, transforms. Yeah. And then by the end, it's Brundle who's jealous and is literally transformed. And and yeah, then right. you know, I mean, and the fact that he becomes the hero. It's a, it's really freaking amazing when you think mm-hmm. about it. It's yeah, it's impressive. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, loved it. great movie. Great. So um, I don't know. Do you think we should recommend this one to people if they haven't seen oh, it? I Which, give it four out of ten. Yeah, maybe. I think no. it's a bit of a stretch, but we'll go with it. <laughs> All right, so you ready for your pick? Yes, let's hit it. Yippee! 
So, Jay, what you got? It better be a good one. Uh, it is fantastic. Uh, as usual, as I often do, I went to the music of this because I think one of the great... As often you do, you picked a mainstream picture everyone's fully aware of, and uh, you're not going to give us any surprises. Go ahead, Jay. No, I'm not. Um, but the music, I think, played into what made this movie so good. And, of course, it was uh, the, the score was composed by Howard Shore, yep. um, who is one of my favorite composers. I love his work, especially he did The Lord of the Rings. He's also going to be work doing The Hobbit. Um, uh, movies coming up, movies. We won't even talk about that. But um, <laughs> no, let's talk the, about the Red Dawn remake. Just kidding. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but he's done some fantastic, up. fantastic uh, compositions. Even he's done a couple, um, and we we talked a little about this offline. He's done a couple with Cronenberg, uh, so he, he has kind of a history with some of those with him. But I wanted to talk about a movie that uh, you know was. Uh, I'm gonna get serious. Oh God! I never. Never pick like a genuine drama or, you know. What about that but, time you picked on Golden Blonde? Oh wait, that wasn't. <laughs> that was a different movie. Yeah, right. no. Um, actually, I went with another film that he composed that that I really like, and I think the the, the movie is subtle in this, but there's a, there's some moments in it. I went with Philadelphia. Oh, uh, that's, from a, that's a damn good movie. Dude, I with, cried uh, like a Tom Hanks bitch in that movie. And Denzel Washington. It I is, cried like a bitch at the end of that movie. End of it, nothing. There is a scene in this movie I cry, that I think By the way, me, bitch, female dog in heat. I cried yeah, like a went, bitch like who House just been hit by a Yugo at the end of that movie. <laughs> There's a scene in this film. Okay, this is, so this is 1993. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan Demme. It was, uh, as De- I said. Demi. Demi, sorry. Um, but, uh, it's Demi, you big dummy. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, who also has a history with uh, Denzel Washington, done uh-huh. some other uh, films with him. But um, it... It is a film about uh, Tom Hanks' character is an attorney with this law firm who is in the closet about his homosexuality. He contracts AIDS at one point, and really the crux of the story is his very conservative law firm uh, fires him because they find out or suspect that he has uh, AIDS. And so he's suing them, and this is really the course of that lawsuit. And, at the, and of course this was at the height. Yes, and so this was at a time that was a very sensitive issue. It was a very big thing, and so this was a very timely film. But there's a scene in this this movie, and then, of course, um, the other element, Denzel Washington is his attorney that's representing him. Um, and the other thing that made that movie really good is because as likable and you're wonderful as Denzel is, they didn't make him particularly sensitive to Tom Hanks' character at first. No, and in the beginning, he's kind of a homophobe, and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to be around him, but he's defending him because it's of the yeah. case Presents. Which made it a lot more interesting than if he had been like all self-righteous, like, oh, yes, yes I'm going to yes. help you. Exactly. Just, to, you know, it, that didn't pull it off. It's but, called drama, people. <laughs> it was realistic drama. But there's a scene in this um, where Hanks is, is ill. He's very ill. His, his disease is progressing. I'm going to cry He's again. And they put on, he puts on that piece of opera music. And he kind of talks along to the, but it's just his facial, facial expressions when that when he's in his house and Den- that's when Denzel comes over to his house, I guess apartment or whatever, New York mm-hmm. City apartment and visits him. And just the anguish on his face when this incredibly sad operatic piece is going on. I don't remember what it is. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I've seen that scene again. Is it, is it La Boheme? No, uh, <laughs> that, that's the only one I know. <laughs> no, it's not Carmen either. Oh, that was the other uh, one I was going to guess. Uh, but it's a fan Anyway. <laughs> this is, it's a it's a very very well, well done film and the acting is fantastic. This is one of Tom Hanks's. Well, he won a Academy mind. Award, right? 
Um, Wasn't that the first one he won? Like, Uh, there was like a spate of like three years there where it was like back to back to back to back. Yeah, it was that one. Then Forrest Gump, he won back to back. And then he was was nominated for Apollo uh, 13 um, the next, the following year. So he was two wins and a nomination back to back to back. And then did he, was he nominated for Saving Private Ryan? I believe he may have been. I'm not sure. That movie was robbed by Shakespeare in Love. Which is not a bad movie. Whatever, but I like, dude. It's I, not better than Saving Private Ryan. No, I didn't think God it was better. Almighty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm really not that upset about it. It's just fun no. to do that. Um, but, you know, I love Tom Hanks. And, and well, yeah, because can you imagine actor. the kind of person that wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, seriously, who wouldn't love Tom Hanks? I'm not saying that you seriously may need to go see if you have some kind of genetic disorder if you don't love Tom Hanks. I'm just saying that if you don't Please love Tom Please speak your psychologist immediately. Immediately. Or psychiatrist, because he can dose you up. Mm-hmm. So Bel- that's my Believe pick. me, he can. That's why they <laughs> call him Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> 1993. Um, it, it scored, uh, of course, by Howard Shore. So. Nice. What is your pick, my friend? Well, my buddy friend, we're both in the 90s. Yours oh. made me cry. This one just gives me warm fuzzies, but there's a part of me that's afraid it's C&D, so I'm just going to pretend like it's not. <laughs> From 1990, I picked Nightbreed. Written and directed by one Mr. Clive Barker, a personal fave. Mr. Barker wrote a book, a novel called Cabal, and this is the adaptation of that. Mm. I picked it because one Mr. David Cronenberg did not direct. Like I said, it was Clive Barker, but he Mm -hmm. does star in it as this crazy, whacked-out serial killer who wears... You remember the Scarecrow in Batman Begins? He wears, like, a mask like that, dude. It's creepy. It's kind of a combination (laughs) of that, and there was an old Italian uh, giallo uh, horror film from the, I want to say, 80 or so, called, um, I believe it was Torso. and Or maybe it was the Toolbox Murders. It was one of those. Anyway, they all blend together. I don't know. I don't speak Italian. What do you want from me? I like Boxing Helena. Oh, with uh, Sherilyn Finn. You know, yes. David Lynch's daughter directed that. Really? Yep. Julian That's... Sands, right? Isn't Julian? Is it Julian Sands? Uh, the, yes. Warlock, right? Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. No and... ADD on this show. So, <laughs> yeah. We slowly severs the girl's body parts, and she's still alive. She falls in love. You with know, her. Full, full disclosure, my friend, never seen it. Really? I remember the box. Like I remember, I'd go into my specs yeah. where they had their their. They're 99 cent Wednesdays. Oh, I love that, dude. I would load up. Friday night, all these other douchey kids, they're going to parties. They're getting laid. Not this guy. Oh, no. This winner, he's going and getting five, at least five or six horror movies. And he sat by himself in his room doing marathons. And by marathons, that is not a euphemism for masturbation. That came much, much later in the evening. No, I mean marathon of kick-ass movies. Yes, there is no reason whatsoever that you came out, the warped individual that you are. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Nothing about the fact that I had an entire wall covered in Fangoria. I have no idea why. Posters and like little gory things I cut out from the issues. My grandmother convinced I was going to be a serial killer. I was like, if I was going to be a serial killer, I wouldn't be this freaking obvious. (laughs) It's a mystery science I think we'll never solve. Indeed. Indeed. So anyway, so Nightbreed, back to that. (laughs) <laughs> I always I, I always love this picture. Never seen it. I've never seen it. Okay. It is a great creature feature. And what's cool about it is mankind are the bad guys. Now, not to get you too confused, the main hero of it, played by Craig Sheffer, who is uh, in some kind of wonderful, um, I'm trying to think, there's a couple other pretty big movies he was in. And then, of course, in a 
cool little trivia twist. He was also in Hellraiser Inferno, the fifth Hellraiser movie, not directed by Clive Barker, but inspired by his earlier film. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays the the main the main character. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. Boone is the character, and he sort of becomes a this kind of human monstery hybrid that kind of protects the monsters because there's these vigilante redneck types, as well as the Cronenberg crazy creepy serial killer guy who's like, killing oh, families yeah. and such. And they're all after this Nightbreed, which are these monsters that live in this uh, kind of underworld called Midian. And it's sort of like they're in hell. So they're these, mm. they, they're not good. I mean, they're not like they're like, oh, we're just innocent little monsters. No, these these are some badass monsters, okay? They will rip your face off. But they, you know, they become the hero. They become the heroes. And it's a really kind of a cool movie. It got a really bad rap. It bombed horribly. I, I remember being a kid and going to video store with my friend and seeing the post for it. Like, oh, what's this? And I had heard about it, but I thought it was supposed to have come out at the movies, and it never did. Um, it did, <laughs> but it lasted like a week. <laughs> and... So they and apparently one of the big knocks on it was it had been cut down horribly. There's a rumor I I haven't mm-hmm. seen this myself. I'd love to find it that there is a uh, like a, was it 155 minute cut? I believe is what they said. No, it had to be longer than that because that's not very long. No, they're saying it out loud. But they said it was hours. Maybe it was an extra. You know what it was? It was an extra 50 or 55 minutes. I think on the original cut, which is like over an hour and a half long. And what it is, there it's something they called it the Cabal cut. And I think there was a VHS copy of one of Clyde Barker's uh, early edits that had like everything in it that he wanted his like vision oh. of the movie. And some uh, video film teacher, I want to say it was maybe somewhere in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, UNC or not. Put it all together on DVD and they screened it as like they called it the cabal cut and it's apparently the most you know pure connected to what Barker wanted um and of course they're trying to get the studio to release like oh no nobody likes that movie but it's becoming a very big cult kind of picture well the effects in it are fantastic tony gardner the guy who did the effects um mm-hmm. did actually lord of illusions which is another barker picture he did Ar- army of darkness he was involved with like harry and the hendersons just a crap ton of great movies um and a few that i wish i could remember off the top of my head because I would have liked to have mentioned them, <laughs> but it's, it, 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 it's a kind of a convoluted story because and pretty much as I explained it is about how much sense it makes. Um, <laughs> uh, just just to give you an idea on IMDb. <clears throat> and if this was actually from the original like description, this is why it tanked a community of mutant outcasts of varying types and abilities attempts to escape the attention of a psychotic serial killer and redneck vigilantes with the help of a brooding young man who discovers them. <laughs> okay. All you say is mutant outcasts of varying types and abilities. What the hell does that... Why do you say a group of monsters? <laughs> anyway. So yes, Alrighty Nightbreed, then. 1990. I want to watch it again. I think we should do it at some point on the show. Because <laughs> I would argue it really probably for a lot of people would be a forgotten It's play. forgotten. Well, it I've never was. seen it. So. It was forgotten at the theater. So It'd be a good one. Yes. So Jay, Fantastic. got some uh, some knowledge hitting. You I do got some getting? knowledge. Do you know what the top two grossing movies in 1986, the same year that came that the fly came out, top were? Top Gun. Top Gun was number one, but number two followed by was only behind it by two million dollars. Can I guess? Yeah. 1986. Hmm. It had to be. Give me a second. It actually came out a month later. Iron Eagle. No. <laughs> it uh, wasn't Troll. Oh, and it wasn't Thrashing. Damn it. Oh, what, Rad. 
It was not rad. Damn it. It wasn't the boy who could fly. What? What the hell wasn't kind of... even the fly. What, what, was uh, what was it? Crocodile Dundee. Oh, God. You know what's so funny about the movie? I always forget it came out in 86. It seems it. more recent than that, doesn't it? I know. I know. But it literally... Uh, tripled what the fly has in its U.S. take, and it's wow. it's done almost as well as Top Gun in its total gross. Well, you know what they say? That's not a knife. This is a knife. Well, wow, that was like the worst Australia. I'd even try. I have to start it with. Um, Do you come from the land down under? Okay, now I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Good day. Uh, That's not a knife. This is a knife. I'm not. Go. Damn it. Go from now. <laughs> so I yeah, have now I officially pissed off ben, both Bens. <laughs> like a giant Phil frontal Mags. fly of language that's you it. are. I, I really am. I'm, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> My ability to do accents is very reminiscent of Brundlefly. It and is. It, and, and of the sounds he made. <laughs> and the sounds he made. It is sort of like the auditory equivalent of watching him retch <laughs> on someone's hand. And all of the podcast listeners are now trying to eat like flies into their food. <laughs> so, Jay, what's it good? Got some knowledge uh, hitting to do? Yeah, I got better knowledge this time. Um, you could definitely check us out on Facebook. We are in two, count them, one, two places. You could join our group where we've got lots of time. chats. Yes, at the same time, you can open multiple windows. Uh, you can check us out at the group. It's the Forgotten Flicks group. We talk about a lot of other things that relate to the movies we're talking about, plus other movies related to these. Uh, or you can check us out on our fan page, which it has all of our podcast episodes. You can listen directly on Facebook. Never have to leave the comfort of your own um, timeline. Is that what they're calling it now, these kids? Who None knows? of the crazy kids in their timelines. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> um, and so if you also want to send us an email and let us know what you think, you can send us an email at Forgotten Flicks. At is that it? Forgotten Flicks well, at well, Gmail. Well, you can do the other Gmail, or you can do Joel at Forgotten Flicks, or, oh, Jason, Joel or, or, Flicks. or Jason at Forgotten Flicks. We both have or one. Jason at Forgotten Flicks.com. And you can check us out at Twitter. I am at Flicks Sidekick, and Joel is at Forgotten Flicks. Both of those with an X. Um, we're also on iTunes. Yep, give us. I didn't forget this time. I didn't forget. We're also on iTunes. Check us out. Write a review. If you don't want to write a review, at least give us some stars. Let us know what you think. Yes, because five means we suck. Yes, it does. If you hated us, give us a five. Which if you, you know, like, and you know, if you like, just give us a five anyway. It's, it's five fine. Too. It's fine. We, we you know, it's you love us. We know you. So yes, and also we can't forget Jay because last oh, time, the, which I don't know if anybody caught the Easter egg in last episode, episode seventy-seven, back to school. But if you listen to all the music like you're supposed to, there might have been <laughs> something in there. But if you didn't, well, you're a bastard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. We want to thank JV for the awesome, updated, spoiler alert, fantastic. And JV recently joined us in the Forgotten Flicks group. He asked to join. And we said yes. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> and of course, thank you to the most beautiful man I haven't had sex with, Kevin Spencer. <laughs> For the fantastic show art. Yeah, oh yeah, that yeah, that's why. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And keeping Joel busy. So Whoa, thank you. what? Just his pictures. <laughs> yes, so thank you, Kev. And of course he's at inkspatters.com. I think he is gonna be attempting to do Monster Mania. He's in the middle of like some kind of I don't know, he's got like some crap going on in his life, whatever. Um but I believe he's going to be attempting to do the next Monster Mania to sell his kick ass art. 
So by all means, go to JV.com, visit our boy JV, and go to... JVmail.com. What's that? Was it JVmail or was it JV.com? It's JVmail, right? JVmail. Oops, edit. Yep. Cut it. All right. JVmail. JVmail.com. Yes, JVmail. JVmail. Yeah. <laughs> JVmail. <laughs> and inkspatters.com, which is our boy Kevin's site. So, on that final note, Jay, anything you'd like to say to the peeps? There was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Yeah. <laughs>